Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to No Limits, the Mitch Rap Podcast. What's new today, Mike? Woot woot! The Mitch Rap Podcast is alive and well. Have no fear, folks. We are back on this feed. Got a couple of things planned before Chris. In just two months, we will be reading and covering Code Red, Kyle Mills' final Mitch Rap book. Final. Wow, that is. I didn't think I would see the day when we when I would not see the day, hear the day when I heard those words. I am very excited for this, and hopefully, before then, we're going to have Kyle on and his predecessor. Don Bentley, and we're going to cover a Kyle book, and we're going to cover another, we have a lot to do, and we're going to cover a new Don Bentley book, jam-packed on this feed. Are you ready to go? Absolutely. I think it's only right, like you hinted at, we should cover Fade, and it's my hope we will get to do that sometime before Code Red comes out, if not July, definitely in August, just because... He deserves it. I mean, it's just a, a testament to what he's done for the series. You guys can listen to our 100-plus episodes before this where all we do is praise his custodianship of the series. And we know Fade meant a lot to him, the character and the book. And he is looking forward to writing that sequel. So let's do it. Let's cover it. I haven't read it. I haven't met Fade yet. I And I can't wait for it. And the fact that we will have more Kyle Mills in the future means – you know, we'll be keeping this feed alive with his work as we continue to cover Don Bentley's rap verse. Yep, yep. Can't wait. But today, we've got something special. I invited you, Chris, onto the pod. Why don't you tell the people a little bit about what this project is we're doing today and how it's culminating a much longer project that our patrons have been enjoying. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I don't think I should be the one to... Uh... <laughs> to comment on this project because this has been your little your little side project that I don't even know if you initially invited me on or you're just kind of like I'm doing this um I know you're busy so I'm just going to do it um or you might have just actually sent me your your first episode which was was that your honorable mentions yeah I w- I was thinking about doing this wrapping up my all top Mitch moments I knew it would be a big undertaking I think it was the same time whether it was you or Caroline was starting a new job, and I didn't want to burden you by coming on to do a five-episode series with me. So I kind of just went solo with it, but um, I'm glad you're here to wrap it all up. I, I'm excited. I, I don't know if I could come up with – I mean, I probably could come up with a 15, but because you're, you're, the, you're the ideas guy. I'm just like the, the man. He, I'm your side. I'm your man in the chair. You know, you're your commenter. No, you're a co-equal. You're the color commentary. But I've, I've had the pleasure of listening – to the first couple episodes. I don't know your top five. You purposely told me not to read the doc. I'm I'm coming in with my top five. And I will say, even though I already knew yours, some of, I have some overlap with with your 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 previous top. So some of mine, my top five are actually outside of your top five, which is interesting. But I'm excited to share my perspective. Yeah, and I knew we had a little bit of difference in our top five and i'm actually hoping that remains the case and i did have a lot of fun with number six through 15 plus honorable mentions yeah when doing mike's mitch moments the top mitch moments ever in the series i sat down i thought i would just be able to bang out a few of them i had a list of 70 wow that is that just is, cra- that is crazy that is crazy. Yeah. I just off the top of my head was like, let me recall cool things Mitch does. And I'm sitting there. I'm like 40. All right. Number 50, number 60. And I'm just going. I'm like, crap, this is going to be an undertaking. So it was actually kind of fun to do the honorable mentions all the way up through 15, 14, 13, down to six. And I don't want to give too much of a recap on what those were, but Kyle Mills was, was pretty high up in there. He had a few scenes in the top 10. I don't think let me take a look i don't think any of his scenes cracked the top five but they were up there and i really just want to give a shout out since most of you won't hear this the most recent patreon only episode was my number six spot wait so can can you just tell them a little bit about how what these episodes were how you broke it down was it did you do five at not obviously not five three three in chunks of three or what did you do 
Yeah, so I grouped them. So I did fifth chunks of three, 15, 14, 13, and then 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. Uh, six got its own episode. Okay. And yeah, that one was so important to me. And the reason for that is because it was rap as a father. Mm. I kind of put together five or six different scenes from different books. So I did a little cheating that's, on number that's six. That's cheating, my friend. And, dude, it was a little bit of cheating, but it deserved its own episode because I had so much to say about it. And I didn't want to necessarily pick any one of them out because, you know, maybe it wouldn't be right in the top five, but somewhere in the top ten. And I thought I just put rap as the family man, rap as a father is so important to me. And I think so important to Vince's vision of the series and Kyle picking up on that vision. So I kind of amalgamated them together and made it my sixth spot. And guys, that episode is fantastic. So many nuggets I pulled out. But again, that's for our patrons. So if you want to hear all the other ones, you can go to thrillerpod.com. And for less than the price of a novel a month, you too can help support the show. Hear all these episodes we're hinting at. And uh, you're the reason, our patrons, the reason this show has continued, the reason we branched off and can cover Brad Thor on the Scott Harvath podcast and a whole bunch of other works, including Jack Carr, Chris Howdy, Andrews and Wilson, so many more on the Thriller podcast. So it's thanks to you guys. Appreciate you helping out. Hope you've enjoyed these last few episodes. Chris, I really want you to hear the Family Man one. It just, that was a great six spot. I really enjoyed you, it. You haven't released that yet, right? I have not, no. That will come out before this does, though. Because I've listened to the, the other three episodes, so. It's coming. Get ready. Yeah, or else I would have given you shit already about, um. <laughs> <laughs> grouping them together. Grouping them together. I knew you done you done a, You've I done a pretty knew. good job so far not, you know, being true to the, true to the word about a moment. But, you know, you got to get a, what I listen to this podcast where they do rankings like this and it's called it's called they call it smuggling. You you, you smuggled it in. So uh, you're not going to be happy with me in my five spot then because I did a little more smuggling. <laughs> oh, man. Well, because of that, how about you kick it off with your five spot? So before I smuggle and cheat my way through, can I? All right. So you want to give us some honorable mentions then that you came up? Yeah, with? I was going to say let, since since I I haven't done this exercise yet, let let me give you my quote unquote honorable mentions things that are like sort of what I'm floating around the five spot. Gotcha. So when I think of Mitch, when I think of like characters that I would want to include him interacting with. In my top five Mitch moments, I, I really want to have like a like a Stansfield there, mm. and I, I like the scene that like stands out to me, which you actually had in your list, is when he comes up on Stansfield at his house. Is that that's in um yes. the third option? Actually, I looking back, I, yes. I really like the third option. And if I could pick, it's not a Mitch moment, but I love the opening to the third option. Like that that quote that Vince writes. It's one one of the best yes. openings to to a Mitrop novel. The author's note, yeah, it's fantastic. So you know that's the this, with with the dog and how he is, skates in. Uh, I like that, Shirley. You know, I'd love to have an interaction with Irene, and you know, there's so many good ones you you could pick. Yes, I like the you know you could pick like a young interaction with Irene in like American Assassin. Uh, you know him like the banter there, the distrust. Or another one that sticks out to me is when they sort of have this unwritten conversation about her first kill in, yes. uh, what is that? Um, Act of treason? Act of treason or pursuit of honor, one of those. When she, when she poisons the, uh, the, the, yes, in the, oval. the DNI in, in, in the oval. But Mitch is not there. So, you know, but it's more so like that moment afterwards. He checks in on her. Or you could have pick many of the glasses of wine. Another two glasses. One. Another character I think I would want to have in my my top moments, but ultimately, you know, is not going to make the cut. Is, is like a, a Grisha rap interaction. And the one that sticks out to me is the Grisha rap chase. You know, after Scott gets injured, he's he's chasing. I think Grisha ends up getting away, right? That's Grisha's intro. That is right? the one where yes. he gets the, he upper, gets hand. the upper hand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not not the one at the Let's end see. because that one is like just, it's we don't love that one, but. Oh, yeah, the enemy of the state ending, yeah. You could have Anna, like, I would, 
you would want to represent like Anna somehow. So I wouldn't want to pick Anna's death. That's that's just cruel and gruesome. But any of the like pick any of the revenge killings that he has. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. four like you could you could lump you could smuggle those four together in in one uh, Mitch moment. So those are kind of like my honorable mentions. But I think what I'm going to have to put for number five because I definitely would want to have some Kyle Mills in my top five. And I think my favorite Kyle Mills novel is Lethal Agent. And so I could go I could go one of two moments here. I could go Okay. You have Lethal Agent, you have the you have our infamous crossbow kill, which yes. which is awesome. Or My number eleven. Okay. Or you have oh good, I I don't have the document pulled up. So I like it's like after he's in the cage when he goes on yep, that yep. when he goes on that hunt. And I guess it's it's one of Kyle's like best written scenes. Like you can almost when you're reading it, you can see I think there's this point where it's a deluge of rain coming, right? And yes. this guy is is sitting in this in in this house and all of a sudden it goes quiet. And because Mitch has killed everybody. And then there's yeah. like a flash of lightning and Mitch is there. And he's you know, like he's not he's not there and then like boom, he's there, you know? It's cinematic. It's cinematic, it's bone chilling, and it just shows how badass like that whole sequence just illustrates how badass Mitch is and it's probably like one of my favorite scenes that Kyle has written. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's gonna be my number five. You know, there's I wasn't I, I should have done this with you, you know, there's so many other things you could put in. Uh you you know, but anyways, that's that's my number five moment. I hope you feel I didn't leave you in the dust with this. I, I was trying to free up some of your time. No, no, this is a, a fun, a fun exercise. So my, my number five, Lethal Agent, of the Esparza gang killing. I I love your thinking there. I appreciate that. I put the cage scene in the ten spot, and that included the chase, and included him ordering breakfast in Esparza's house <laughs> with his maid. Nice, nice. <laughs> After escaping the cage with the dude's, you know, tibia bone. I love that. I think that's a great choice. I'm glad Kyle uh, cracked in up there. So he did make the top 10 for me then with uh, with that scene. But you you mentioned it. You actually said it in your little rundown. My five spot is the consent to kill rampage. Nice. All the revenge killings, the series of them. So excuse me for clumping together a number of action scenes here. That's a good smuggle, though. But I yes, yes. Uh, thank you for that, because. I think everything that happens in the sequence of events right after Anna's death is just a whirlwind of epic proportions. Some of the best thriller writing in the genre, period. So I also have a lot of quotes, Chris. I don't know if you you caught this in the earlier episodes, but my Mitch moments come with some quotes. And this one just encapsulates everything that's about to happen. And what's cool is it was in the prelude to the book. So... Even before we know what's going to happen with Mitch's wife and the, the explosion and his revenge kills, the prelude, the opening of the book says, quote, to kill a man is a relatively easy thing, especially the average unsuspecting man. To kill a man like Mitch Rapp, however, would be an entirely different matter. It would take a great deal of planning and a very talented assassin, or more likely a team, who were either brave enough or crazy enough to accept the job. In fact, any sane man by definition would have the sense to walk away. Dude, that's the plot of consent to kill in a little pithy, like two or three sentences before the book even begins. Right. Yeah. Louis, Louis does not have the sense to walk away. He's he's crazy enough, you know, he's either brave enough or crazy enough. And he's a good deal, a, a heavy heaping of both. Yeah. And it's not going to take one talented assassin, most likely a team, and, and Claudia is the other half of that team, offering the uh, analysis, the intel, the brains, and the planning of the operations. You know, that's followed up later in the book when uh, Petrov and Erica Bell are talking. So I kind of feel like that's setting up the revenge kills to come because, because Petrov and Abel, these two guys sitting on a porch, I forget what they were drinking, Louis, Louis the 15th cognac or something. And he says, you need a killer to kill a killer. So we're introducing Louis Gold. He's going to be the killer to kill the killer. Who is Mitch Rapp? It's almost like this foreboding clashing of titans to come. And I just love that's the genius of Vince Flynn right there. And why very few can match him. That he was planting this stuff early on in the book. 
But I'll just wrap it up quickly with the action. You get in chapter 57, the hit at the Leesburg house. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. This is not even a revenge kill. I got to smuggle this one in too because it's 13 dudes with the Glock wearing earplugs. So he has superior hearing compared to all the other people that he's shooting out. He wanted to preserve his auditory senses. Uh, he's got headshots out of a second story window. He's going back and forth between windows. He's shooting a dude through like a hole in the, the door. They blew an RPG through the door and he's shooting dudes through now, it. Now, this is the MS-13 like, gang that the the Saudi guys hire, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it was supposed to be like a distraction. Right. Right. No, the guy the guy goes and blows up like a police station downtown Leesburg as a distraction while the, the, the gangbangers go and get Mitch at the safe house. Right, yeah. right, right. So crazy stuff there. But after the house blows up, you got, he picks up Wahid from Urda. Remember the CIA guy? Oh, yeah, 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 Urda yeah. Has the terrorist. He sneaks him underneath fish in, in the back of a grocery van into Saudi Arabia. He uses like frozen fish so they can't detect him uh, in the back of the van. He puts a vest on him and makes him go greet his father oh. after a prayer service outside the mosque. Dude, that is just setting up Mitch to be a savage after they kill Anna. Just a complete savage. Crazy. Like the, these these kills are, are just downright crazy. They only get crazier. Yep. He actually goes to that cabin I just said where Petrov and Abel were, were basically hiring Louis and putting the plan into motion to kill the killer. Uh, they hire him, and he finds Abel uh, or Abel in the house. He's sipping on $2,000. Yeah, it was Louis the Thirteenth cognac, and he lights him on fire. So I think it was like outside or maybe in the basement of this house. He just lights the dude on fire who hired Louis Colt. Like, come on. Two more. Two more on the revenge saga, and this one was cool. He goes up to where the – was it an imam? I forget the name of – the the high up religious cleric who hired uh, or who who put the hit on on Mitch's head who actually took out the bounty, but he rolls up to that dude's mansion in like Grenada. He's in Spain, which oh right, well. right 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 right, and he he's babbling to the guards. The angel of death is here. The angel of death is here, and the guards freak out. He makes one of the captured guys uh, go up to the guards. They freak out like the angel of death. They all clearly know who that is. But that guy he sends up to the guards is also wearing a vest. Right. So now Rap blows a vest at the guard shack to get into this mansion. Dude. And then. Then you get to like the craziest of them all. The piece de la resistance. He finds Rashid. Again, the the guy in the Saudi household who, who took out the hit on Mitch. He pops a phosphorus grenade down his throat, which melts his head from the inside out <laughs> at 2,000 degrees in two seconds. That's crazy. Incendiary grenade down the throat. 2,000 degrees, Bro. two seconds. <laughs> yeah. I would say Vince had some fun with these revenge kills, for sure. He did. He did. A little Jack Carr twisted uh, kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. They're tame compared to some Jack Carr kills. <laughs> Fair, 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 fair. We don't have entrails <laughs> tied around a tree in a mangrove swamp. Good yeah, point. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right, that's my five spot, though. I smuggled it in there. All the revenge kills in CTK. Consent to kill. All right, that's that's a good one. That's a good one. All right, my number four. So I was thinking about American Assassin and how I have to include something from American Assassin in my top five. Yes. And, you know, I feel like I could, I could go, I love how that book opens with him talking to himself in the mirror and then we jump back. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's a pretty cool moment to me. When we revisit that exact same scene, not like now knowing like who, who it is, like w what the whole story is. But I think ultimately you got to pick something from the farm. And if I'm going to pick yes. something from the farm, I got to pick like the, his, you know, his fight. You know, he, he's, you, you got to pick the fight. And that, that's such a cool, because also Dude, you, you get some Hurley in there. Yes. What, we're on the same page. Is, is that your number four too? That's my number four. No, I called it the farm and the fight. That's the funny. farm and the fight. That's funny. Yes. <laughs> also, you can smuggle in like the whole, the training sequence at the farm. The fact that he, he, he is the best there, but he actually like 
tames himself back. Like you, you, you yes. begin to realize what kind of player he is, even though like obviously we've read way more novels about, but if you start out with American assassin, like so many people do, you get, you immediately get the sense of how powerful intelligent Mitch is. Yep. And yet, you know, the fight, such a quintessential moment in Mitch's career, uh, his relationship with Hurley, you know, like it begins here. So yeah, you, you, you got it. You got to include this in your top five. Has to be in the top five. Some could argue even higher than the four spot, but you can't leave it out. Like you said, it begins in chapter one, Kennedy giving him a ride to the farm. She even talks to Hurley who disagrees with him. And she's like, you know, stop treating me like a child. You know, I'm a grown adult now. I'm not little Irene anymore. And all that is taken out on Mitch because he's like, yeah, who's this, you know, puke college kid, as he always says. And rap right off the bat says, well, let's go to the mat then. You know, like you'll know in 10 seconds if if I have the goods or not. So I'm not wasting your time. You're not wasting my time. Let's go. And, and you can assess me. And that's when the fight happens. And it's unlike the movie because I, I, for some reason, can't get the picture of the movie out of my head where all the recruits are in the woods and they're in a circle, which would include Victor. And they're all watching the fight and Hurley's using it as like a teachable moment. But no, like that is not at all what Vince envisioned. They do this in secret. No one else is watching. He's like, drop your bag, 30 seconds, meet me in the barn, we're going. And it's really detailed. Not always did Vince get into the minutia of a hand-to-hand fight. He sometimes went through them really quickly, right. maybe two or three actions, and then it's done. Right. But there are paragraphs and maybe even pages here of grapples and chokeholds and feints. And I think that really attunes you to the skills that Mitch has, the intuition that Mitch has to go toe-to-toe with Hurley. However, there's something subtle I want to bring up here. And I'm glad we're doing this because I went back and reread all these scenes and, you know me, I pulled some quotes, but I I found some specific things. So basically, Rap's about to win. He's choking out Hurley and Vince writes, quote, Hurley couldn't believe he had just had his ass handed to him by some college puke. Still, he didn't stop looking for a way out. With the darkness closing in, he found his answer sitting only a few inches in front of his face. He vaguely remembered a brief discussion about rules before they started, but that wasn't important right now. Making sure he didn't lose was what was important. In a last-ditch effort to avoid calamity, Hurley released his opponent's wrists and lashed out with his now free hand. He found the kid's gonads, and with every last ounce of strength, he clamped down and began to squeeze. Here's the thing, though. I always remembered that scene, that Hurley took the cheap shot, right? He grabbed his nuts so that Rap didn't knock him out. But I didn't realize this. That scene is literally followed up with on the next page in the next chapter with Kennedy thinking about her job and her role in the war on terror. And she's thinking, quote, surprisingly, Kennedy was fairly ambivalent about it. As her mentor, Thomas Stansfield, had told her many times, great spies don't complain about the rules. They find ways around them. Yeah, true. We literally just paralleled. Hurley doing anything to grab Rap's nuts, even though they just agreed and shook on the fight rules that they wouldn't go below the belt. And Hurley says, fuck it. That's not what matters. And Kennedy's saying that's how we fight the war on terror. If they don't play by the rules, we don't play by the rules. And that's what Stansfield taught her. All of that is foreshadowing Mitch becoming the guy we love who doesn't give a fuck about rules. He's willing to do whatever it takes. And the ultimate lesson that Hurley takes him is the mission is all that matters you know, the ends justify the means kind of mentality. And the fact that we're learning Irene, learn that from Stansfield, and it applies to what Hurley just did in the fight, again, is just next level writing, not just thriller writing, but next level literature to me. And I think it just is so perfect how all that went together so well. And then Hurley walks in with a maker's mark and a busted up face. And Irene's like, the fuck? (laughs) That's funny. All right, so that was four. That was funny. We had the exact same one. My three, so I was going back and forth. Number one, one, two, three is really hard. It's really hard. Some might argue, especially like, well, some might argue that what we just put in number four should be higher too, but some may argue that 
this scene should be higher. And I think it's pretty important because it's the very first scene we ever get with our boy, Mitrap. Oh, nice. And it's landing on that beach, putting on, you know, doing the walk. We we immediately are immersed that this guy is a chameleon. He can he can he's good at his tradecraft. Yes. And he gets the kill. And he he, he he the mission is is a success. And I think like you can follow it up with you know, smuggling a little bit of the post scene flight back where we're immediately getting this idea of he wants to get out. He's been trying to get out since since we met him. Right. So I think just like you you can't not have that like like in in your rankings because obviously it's the first time you meet him it's it's a, such a, a powerful moment uh, I feel like we 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 visited that situation where rap is put put in to those kind of moments in like every single book and he generally succeeds I don't know that for me that one just hit hit home for some reason dude I had a lot to say on that scene that was my number seven okay and all right you're right it it can absolutely crack the top five i called it the introduction you know the farah root scene the guy he captures you know in uh, bandar abbas southern iran <sighs> dude great one i even when we did it i put together a little team he beached with seal commander lieutenant dan harris mick reavers charlie wicker really and then two guys yeah, they were all there on the beach that day. Mick Reavers, Charlie Wicker, and Dan Harris. At the very beginning. Yeah, and then these two randoms, Tony Clark and Jordan Rothstein, we never hear from again. But um, cool scene, man. Really I cool thought scene. about, um, you know, that's his first kill that we read, but that's not his first kill chronologically, you know. No. I believe you had in your rankings his first kill in, that's in... Not it's American not Assassin, but is it an American Assassin? Yeah, it is an American Assassin. No, it is American Assassin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right after his training. And he actually jumps the gun. He was supposed right. to go to Istanbul just to case the ground. Right, right, right. And right, Hurley's right. like, minimum two weeks, you're going to case this thing out. And Rap's like, nope, I'm going for a jog, shoots him on a bench. So, yeah, that was spot number. Let's see, first kill. That was number 12 for me, Rap's mm. first kill in Istanbul. You know, I was trying to think of a of a scene from Kill Shot because I love that book. You know, I was sort of like trying mm -hmm. to smuggle in my favorite books and like picking the scenes, like kind of that. That's a, was my initial thought of like how I was going to do this, but then it didn't work because like Kill Shot is one of, one of my favorites, and I, there's not like a like, not like a st scene that like stands out like with Mitch, you know. But anyways, that book is most likely one of the least memorable. Yeah, I mean, I'm a sucker for Paris, man. What can I say? I, I hear you, and I think that book will be better if we had the third in the trilogy. But on its own, I think we've had like five podcasts about this since about this. <laughs> this has come up a lot for our OG listeners. It, the book did enough to follow up American Assassin, where it's not like you're angry or upset with it because it does play out the Victor storyline, right? But does it do enough? I'm not sure. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. But yeah, nothing from Killshot. I don't think really made made my list. Maybe when he's on the bridge patching himself up in the beginning, and then he jumps into the water. Uh, yeah, no. There's so, and then there's like some of these books just have like so many, and some of them just are like they're good, still good books, but like the the moments that stick out. Maybe aren't like a, a Mitch moment. They're like they're like a Hurley moment or an Irene moment or like a, it's more of like True. a co moment, you know, type thing. But anyways, that's that's a good point. Uh, so I'm a little nervous here with number three because once I reveal it, I will give you the choice to tell me where it ranks because I think it's your one or two for sure. My number three, which is arguably tied for number two for me, that man, it's just a toss up, two and three. I had to decide. It could have gone either way. Number three is the conga line. That's my number Extreme two. Measures. That's my number, That's two. number two. So we we can talk about it okay. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Extreme Measures, chapter seventy-two to seventy-four. The hit on the National Counterterrorism Center. I think it was in Tyson's Tyson's Corner, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, there's so much about that scene. I actually copied like paragraphs paragraphs of the quotes when it's actually going down the, the action of it all 
I'll try to summarize it, but just here's a description of the tactics that they're dealing with. Quote, the lead man motioned forward with his hand in the group, began to move as one, shuffling forward into the room, unleashing a torrent of bullets. They were in a textbook raid line. Rapp and Nash had watched the drill hundreds of times. The first man is responsible for the first slice of pie immediately in front of the group. The second man takes the next slice on the left. The third man takes the slice on the right. They alternate their way back to the sixth man who is responsible for all six slices of pie. Like, we're just getting this tactic which Rap and Nash know are unbeatable. And they're dealing with a freaking out Barbara Lonsdale. They're on like the second story. And Barbara Lonsdale is in this office just wigging out. They put her in a corner, tell her don't move. And she gets to watch this go down. Probably the most propulsive scene Mitch ever wrote. Maybe there's one coming in a bit. However, it's more drawn out. My number two is a similar sequence of killer action, but it lasts over more chapters. So it doesn't feel as propulsive as this does. This is all just maybe four pages maximum. It's very, it's very condensed. It's very condensed. It's condensed. Yeah. And it really works. You've got Nash crawling over the edge of the balcony. Rap says, sight in on the first guy. Cause you take down the first guy. The conga line is less effective because it doesn't have its point person leading forward. Because two and three are looking sideways. So if Nash takes the shot on the first guy, the second he drops, Rap is going to charge them head on. Nash even says, quote, that's fucking crazy. But Rap ignores him. It is fucking crazy what Rap does here. Yeah. But there's their difference. Nash would have done it if he needed to. But in his mind, he's thinking, no way. I shouldn't. This is not this is not what we need to do right now. Where Rap says he doesn't even care. He's going. He makes a call. He plows right through the conga line. He starts picking these dudes off in the head. I think some he, yeah, he hits one guy in the eyes, in the goggle, lightning speed. He sees another guy's throat. So he's actually making tactical shots between the body armor, knowing how these guys are swiveling and which way they're facing, like what position in the conga line is looking with their head which way to expose which part of their neck between the body armor. Like just mowing down dudes in the face, full body armor, while he's running at them with his 9mm Glock. Dude, and that's not even the whole thing. You remember what happens right after they down all these guys? Then they have to like run and shoot the window and then throw a guy out, out the window. Yeah, like Rap like immediately, immediately, immediately realizes. So I, I think that this scene sticks out in my mind so much because, well, and, and I'll tell you why I had to have it in my top 10. Was one, Extreme Measures is one of my favorite books. Again, I was thinking about interactions with, with characters that I would want to have in the top five. So this, this covers my Mike Nash interaction and have, having him in there. And then three, like you said, in, in this short amount of page time that, and then based off of your description of what your number two is, is I think that, that you know. I think that's my number one, which I'm, okay, I thought so. I'm uh, now, now I'm almost positive. I know what your number one is. And I, I think I didn't pick it. Anyways, we'll get to that. But, um, I've said it before, so yeah. Yeah. I know it's very unique, my number one. Different than a lot of people. So, yeah, just the sheer, like, the writing that Vince was able to do shows the tactics of what Mitch is, what kind of person he is. This entire time, he's hated Barbara Lonsdale, right? But it shows that he's willing to save anyone. He will do anything. Yeah, and just it's it's one of the coolest scenes. Like I, I so would love to have like a whole season of twenty four, like based on this book. Like I think that would, that would that would have been cool, right? Yes. So yeah, extreme measures, man. That's it's, it's the NTCT scene. Like when when you think of like scenes, like one of the best action scenes from this entire series that sticks out. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, I love what you said about Barbara Lonsdale too, because. There's even a bigger point being made. Some could say with the whole series or specifically this book, I think Vince was trying to do something a little different in how he portrays the war on terror because it's been very gung-ho, one-sided. You know, there's right and wrong. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys this whole time. This book, I think he gets more nuanced with Barbara Lonsdale because she has a turn. And she has to realize, like I think a lot of Americans, when the threat is closer to home, when you see it, 
you know, your lived experience is daily tracking, even if you're just an analyst, tracking and reporting what these terrorists are doing, that affects you on a personal level, right? right? Whether you're a guy in the field trained to go downrange and deal with them and you've seen them and you've been deployed, that affects you. And sometimes different people, also known as politicians, are so many steps removed from that everyday experience that the war on terror becomes a political point and you're just a pundit when you comment on it. Or it's so far removed from your experience, your personal connections, that you form certain opinions on it and the people who operate in it. Like Barbara Lonsdale also hated Mitch and she even said like, you are the ones destroying America and motivating the radicalism. What you and Irene and the rest of, you know, your gang does. She sees them as the criminals, right? Who are causing the extremists to want to hit us. But the moment this goes down, she's in Mitch's corner. So I think Vince is trying to make a broader point about how Washington at that time could have been more receptive to what our national intelligence apparatus and men and women were doing, but they wanted to score cheap political points. Where today, I don't know if you have a Barbara Lonsdale. I don't know if you have someone willing to wake up, someone who like can no. see that this is <laughs> no, now affecting people all, right? personally. No, I, I don't think she would change face nowadays. A Barbara Lonsdale would double, double down, down. Would double on her down. position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of coming around and seeing what Mitch and Irene do and being on their side, I feel like this is a book of the times. Yep. No, I completely agree. You want to know one other nugget here? Yep. You know what scene, or excuse me, what phrase comes up just a few chapters prior that involves Nash and Irene and talking about the role of the National Counterterrorism Center? Just let Mitch be Mitch. Really? That's where it came yes, from. Yes, it's extreme measures. Nash is saying something about we can't let Mitch go off and do these things. He's off the deep end. He's going too far. And Irene is like, get out of my way. There's no going too far. It's Mitch's style. Let him do what he needs to do. And she says, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just let Mitch be Mitch. Irene says it to Nash. I know a lot of you were wondering, you know, where that came that's from. That's our tagline. There it is. I, 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 I knew that she said it. And that's why we picked it, but I couldn't remember what book it was from. I, we probably talked about it when we, when we recorded that episode, but yeah. Number two, I know is your number one. So I'm a little curious. I'm actually kind of lost on what your number two is then. No, that was my number two, Extreme Measures. That was your number two. Yeah. So yeah. what am I missing? Your number- My number one. Three? What was your three? My number three was uh, Rap's um, intro. Oh, because I, I, I've gone first, so like you're, I've gone first on all of them. So you, we're waiting for your number gotcha. two, and then then I'll go to my number, number one, one, and then your number one. Yeah, yeah. And then I get to end with my number one, which will be a rant, as I'm sure you're full aware, and everybody already. <laughs> and I'm knows I'm almost now. positive I know what this rant's going to be, and I, I I'm here you for do it. Know what it. I'm is. here for it. I'm here for it. I've said it many times, and I have a big rant, but a, a different a different bent on the rant. But first. Memorial Day. Uh, I'm calling this one a a chopper on the Potomac and a nuke in the mountain. Just can you end a book? Can you end a book any more thrilling in terms of action than what Vince does in the last four or five chapters of Memorial Day? Yeah, and I think so. Obviously, this is my number one. I'm almost positive this might be a lot of people's number one. I, I'd be shocked if it yeah. wasn't a lot of people's number one. Yeah, and again, thinking about. I got to have Memorial Day scene in here. It's probably, even though what Consent to Kill is actually my favorite my favorite book and Memorial Day is your favorite book, because we're flip-flopped, right? I'm almost positive that your number one is from Consent to Kill, but anyways, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and most people would agree these are the top two books. These, if, you, clearly. if you switch the order, most clearly. most people would say that, so yeah. Whereas the last one we talked about was, was Brevity. This one is is pure suspense for a sustained period of time. And right. it's just, it's just freaking riveting. We, we, from the time we're starting with the helicopters and, and, you know, going, maybe it hits a little bit home for us because we, we live so close. Like I've been to that park where he hops on the, you know, the helicopter to be able to yep. like find the boat. Um, yep. And then Jones point park behind the Wilson bridge. Yeah. 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 And when he he realizes that he's out of time, 
and you know he's got to he's got to take this nuke somewhere. And I, the, I would you agree that this is cooler than how they try to smuggle it into the American Assassin movie? Because it, remember that was part of the American Assassin movie and a million times that was nowhere in American Assassin. Yeah, that whole ending of American Assassin with the Navy out at sea and the nuke, you know, dropped in the water. It looked cool, but <sighs> did it though? Not really. Uh, it was bad CGI. It's when a group of people think they can do better than what someone like Vince had done and simply for expediency go, oh, let's tack these two things together. American Assassin, origin story, great. The whole farm thing, Hurley, those dynamics, great. Then let's take the helicopter and the nuke because that's so cool and really important. From his, his, probably his best novel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just put them together. And it's like, no, how about you don't? And you slow your roll and you respect the craft because each of these books, American Assassin, Memorial Day, or Consent to Kill could make an incredible either movie or limited series. And it'd be baller as it is. I get you'd have to change a few things, but to randomly take the nuke in the helicopter scene and instead of going into a mountain, have it explode at sea with freaking Navy ships just keeling over in like 80 foot waves. Just got a little ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah, no. We're not here to litigate American Assassin again. You can go listen to our yeah. multiple pods talking about that. but um, Or don't. Yeah, so back to, well, I guess what what is the better version of that is what Vince is able to do in these last couple of chapters. And I don't know, like, I feel like at times... Vince isn't always the most propulsive of writer. Not that it's a negative, but like, I just think I've been reading a lot of Brad and he's like the king of this. And I think Jack's gotten better at it too. You know, trying, and I guess Kyle, I, well, I guess we should say that it's, it's had to be a, a change in the style of writing in all the thrillers. Like this is, is because you, you couldn't put out a consent to kill nowadays. No, it's yeah. It, too slow, too long, all these different things. Yeah. So both these books are out of time. Even Memorial Day is pretty long. Like they're too honking. Like I we have I have the hardcovers of each and they're right next to each other and they're they're honking right next to each other. But yeah, just to be able to have that long of a story and still keep us engaged that late into the novel, amazing. That Memorial Day is perfect. He, Memorial Day is perfect. So good. And and he does it a little different, like you said. It's not necessarily propulsive in terms of page time. It is in terms of plotting and storytelling. It, but it, for example, we just said the conga line scene happens like lightning. It's so quick. Rap sees the vest. It's going to go off in 40 seconds. He decides to literally shoot out the window. And then everyone in the office is throwing bodies out the window. And they boom, they go off. It's It's so quick. And it's written quick. This one... I think the nuke has like 45 minutes before it goes off and we actually get these little cutscenes where Mitch is radioing to the president and the National Security Council and everybody and they're trying to figure out what to do with the nuke and like there is some debating going on and even after it, after it goes off in the mountain which was Mitch's idea and he tells the pilot you know go to Mount Weather there's a little paragraph about like the Chinese and the Russians and a whole bunch of other countries who catch it on their, like, I don't know what the devices are, but they, like, detect a nuclear explosion and, like, no, strange the size, waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what the you seismic yeah, waves. And they're, like, trying to, to talk to us and be like, did you get hit by a terrorist attack? Did your continuity of government plan go under? Other countries are wondering if our government has literally just been blown up because the president was in Mount Weather, I think, and they had to evacuate him. So... It's like pulling in all these wider threads, which one could say takes you out of the gripping action in the moment, but it really doesn't. Looking back on it, that sequence is a whirlwind, yet all these wider contexts are still being brought in. So it's kind of very different than the last scene we described, equally as gripping, but written in a in a slightly different style. There's another follow-up to it even where he calls Anna, and and this, I think, elevates it a little bit more 
because one of the strengths of Consent to Kill is that it comes after Memorial Day. And one of the strengths of Memorial Day is that it comes before Consent to Kill. Right. Yeah, I think like and, they, they both like play off each other, right? Yeah, and, and here's how, though. Like, I didn't realize this before. The whole scene with jumping off a helicopter, chasing down a boat that you hid behind a bridge to commandeer it, and driving a nuke into a mountain. All that follows up with an epilogue where Mitch goes to meet Anna at the lake house. Because this whole op, she's like, are you coming out to see my family? Are you going to be with right, us? Right, 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 right. And he's torn, right? And when they're on the helicopter and Mount Weather blows, he was laughing. He said, quote, all you could do is laugh in the face of such insanity. And he calls Anna and tells her, I'm coming. You know, I'll be on vacation with you. Yet, while on vacation, in the epilogue, he gets a phone call from Irene. And it's so cool how this leads into Consent to Kill. I truly didn't remember all these threads. And when I think of Memorial Day and Consent to Kill as back-to-back books, it just elevates the both of them. Here's the conversation. Quote, Mitch, if there was ever a time to get him, the president, to declare open season on terrorists, this is it. But will he? When it comes down to it, will he actually turn us loose? This time? Yeah, I think so. Rap looked out across the water and sincerely wondered if he could walk away from it all. He doubted it. He was too passionate about the fight. He didn't need to admit to Kennedy. He didn't need to admit that to Kennedy and the president, though. He would push for every single thing he can get. Irene, I want carte blanche. Tell the president I'm going to hunt down every last son of a bitch who had a hand in this attack, and I don't want anyone from the White House or the Justice Department looking over my shoulder. We essentially get the consent to kill, you know, the license to kill, in the epilogue of Memorial. Right, 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 right. Like, we get the president and Irene to give Mitch the ability to do what he does in consent as a result of these events. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. That's It's interesting to take a look back when we're, when you're, like, picking these scenes out. You you sort of find new hidden gems. That's why I like, I like revisiting these things time to time. It's fun to talk about this after. Mm-hmm. It's been, when did we record our last Mitch Rap Pod? Well, not, like, the of the full series. Like, when was that? Sometime last, early last year, March of last year. Yeah, what did it take us? Two full years to, to get through all this? I had already moved to Columbia, so. Not the country. Not the country. But yeah. Maryland, but yes. <laughs> Yo, speaking of that, actually, looking back on things, I got to count. Did you know, and this might be it, we're closing in on episode 200. Really? Last I checked across all three feeds added up, we were close to like 195, 196, and I haven't checked in a couple of weeks. So one of these episodes is going to be it. It might be this one. This might be the 200 episode special. Wow. What? So we started this pod April of 2020. Yeah, Our first episode so came out in like May or June of 2020. So we, oh, we, we didn't even celebrate our three year anniversary. Right. We missed that too. Oh, man. We're slacking over here. Yeah. Just dates. Just dates. Well, so that's my top five. But Mike, <laughs> you, you still have you have one more to go. And not only is it one more, it's it's the longest one. Because I know what it is. Can I say what it is? It's a cracking one, Chris. Go ahead, tell the people. They already know if they listen to this. <laughs> if you were a true Mike Stan, you know it's gotta be the <laughs> epilogue of Consent to Kill. Chris, you can't beat it. I'm just gonna. I, I'm gonna sit back and I'm gonna let you rant. I'm sorry to do this, people, and I know I hogged the mic, Chris. I apologize to you in advance. I've been apologizing for three years, two hundred episodes. Every time we're done recording, <laughs> sorry, I went on and on and on. But I think it's warranted here, and I actually kind of get a little. I, I get a little spicy sometimes when I hear Kyle talk about this scene, and I'm glad we can have this dialogue. I think he doesn't like this scene. I think a lot of people, it doesn't sit well. I've heard him on many interviews say this scene was so out of character. He, he maybe kind of wanted to undo it or not undo it, but realize like maybe Vince made a mistake here. I, I've heard that hinted at whether I'm, I'm misjudging what Kyle has said. I apologize, but I've heard that strain of thinking hinted at. I'm here to disprove it because it is such malarkey. I, this is perhaps the finest piece of text Vince ever wrote. And I think he would 
agree. I think this text shows a lot about him as a person, Mitch as a character, his vision for the future of the series, and his vision for what makes Mitch different. Now, I've hashed a lot of this out on our Consent to Kill episodes, you know, nearly two years ago now, episodes 39, 40, and 41. Check them out if you want to hear everything I had to say about it. But today, I'm going to find some new angles. A couple of different ways of looking at this, this epilogue, which, if in case anybody doesn't know, if you're listening to this, you, you probably do, but it's when Mitch confronts Louis Gould and Claudia Morel, a pregnant Claudia Morel, on their beach house in Tahiti, and he goes in alone. Coleman thinks he's crazy. Wicker's, you know, watching the house from afar, but he says, no, I'm going in alone. He cracks. He plans to kill Louis Gould. Ends up letting him go. He throws his gun away, tosses the Glock into the ocean, and we don't know what's next for him. So, a couple of different angles on how I read this. First, you got Coleman, Wicker, and guess who else is on the island with him forming this team? Hackett and Strobel, baby. The last op, Hackett and Strobel are together. Hackett and Strobel only show up one more time in Act of Treason, the next book, but they're separate. They're doing two different uh, separate missions and odd jobs. So this is, as far as we know, the last Hackett and Strobel op. So for you nerds out there, that's important. (laughs) (laughs) That's a little nerd bite right there. But... We see right before this happens, Rap didn't show up to the funeral. He's a changed man. And as Vince writes, quote, the hunt had changed Rap. So we're already being clued into, we have a Rap on our hands who is slightly, I don't want to say jaded, but he's just a different, he carries himself differently. His whole modality of thinking is different, having lost Anna and gone on this revenge uh, plot. And he knows this is going to be the final piece. And he knows he's just a wild animal. And he's thinking killing Louis Gould is going to be able to maybe find him some peace or, or, or bring some finality to things. He even rents a house up the road from their blown, blown up house. And it says, quote, he didn't want to lose the connection. He wanted to live not only near the remains of the house. He wanted to live near the water because he loved sitting out, cracking a beer, laughing with Anna on their, their patio, looking at the, the river. He didn't want to lose that. So he rented a house right up the road so he can go back and be connected. So we're seeing a deep rap already. However, what's neat is Claudia picks up on all this. She doesn't even freak out. She's pregnant alone in this house on Tahiti where her madman of a husband, who she was literally crying and panicking, you know, a number of chapters ago because he was nuts. We thought he might even beat her and leave her. And they had these crazy conversations And she's in this house, calm and serene, knowing Mitch would show up. And she says to Mitch, quote, you would never kill this baby or any other baby. That's that's one of the first things she says to him when he shows up as an assassin in the night. She gets it. She knows who Mitch is. So she's calling his bullshit out saying, you're here to murder us all, but you know I'm pregnant. And Claudia, the intel, the analyst, the logistics person, she can read people. We know that's her skill. She reads Mitchell in that moment and says, I've been waiting for you. I know you come, but I also know you would never kill this baby. Yeah. She calls him out on the spot right there. Uh, that's deeper than I think 90% of readers will even see that she gets Mitch right from the start. But here's the big one. When he lets Louis go and his world shatters. Last time I did a rant about Les Miserables, Jean Valjean. This idea of grace streaming into your universe that everything in your past is totally shed on a new light and you are, you know, forgiveness basically just breaks you. It breaks everything you thought you knew about justice, corruption, evil, sin. Well, here I've got a different read, not Les Mis, but Lord of the Rings. Okay. All right. Chris, it's pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Gandalf realizes Gollum has a role to play in the destruction of the ring. Gollum, who is evil, you know, incarnate. He is this squirrely little character, so corrupt by the the evils of Sauron and the ring. He's nothing. He's a little tiny creature of of pure evil. Yet uh, Yet Gandalf tells Frodo, 
It's pity that saved him. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it, for good or for evil. Before this is over, the pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. It's the pity that Frodo, Gandalf, and Bilbo show on Gollum that allows the ring to be destroyed. Because if you remember, Frodo, and sorry for the spoilers, people, goes to Mount Doom. He has to toss the ring away into the fire forever and once to break the will of Sauron, to destroy his spirit, to end evil uh, as we know it. And he's not willing to do it. Evil and sin has such a hold on him, he cannot let go of the ring. As Isildur couldn't do it ages ago, Elrond told him throw it away, and he couldn't do it, and corruption and evil continued. Sauron rose again. Frodo can't do it. He's not able to do it. And Gollum shows up. Gollum wrestles Frodo. And it's Gollum fighting Frodo that allows Frodo to accidentally drop the ring into the pit. Literally, forgiveness for this little creature. Saves the world. Saves the world. It saves everything. I think Mitch here realizes he's not the one to dole out that judgment. There might be a role for everybody, even Claudia, even the baby, even possibly Louis might have a role to play in this world. I don't think he'll ever stop being evil, but is it my judgment call to make? And what does Louis do later on in The Last Man? He saves Mitch. Yeah. You could say it's it's out of fear, but he saves Mitch. Right. He's Gollum. Louis is Gollum. Louis has some part to play. Even all the evil that is in him is going to be used for a greater purpose. Gollum was used for a greater purpose. Gollum was not redeemed, but he was used by a force greater than he. Instead of people doling out judgment to him early and killing him and saying, you're an evil little creature, he played a role. Mitch let Louis live, and Louis played a role. He saved his team later on in The Last Man. It might be a stretch here, but I really do think Vince realizes when Mitch let Louis live, Louis had a role to play at some point in the future. And guess what? Vince got to write that in his last words on the page. Oh, Mike, that was... Rant over. That was amazing. Yeah, every time, you just, it's so nuanced. You're just able to come up with different, you know, different takes, you know, different sides of the same same take. It's 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 amazing. I love it. And part of, part of me doesn't need to pick it because I I can't say, I can't, do it as well as you. So that's, that's your thing. I can't, I can't, uh, no, I, I understand people will think I'm crazy. I, I most likely am crazy to see these things. I, it hits with me on such a deeper level. I can understand people who think it's not even a great scene. It's maybe an out of character scene. I don't agree with that take, but I could see where people are coming from. And if someone just says, Oh, you know, it's an okay scene. It's just run of the mill kind of ending to a book. Uh, okay, I, I appreciate and can understand where you're coming from. But for me, knowing who Vince was, knowing his background, particularly his faith background, I can't help but see a really, really deep message in what he has Mitch do here. And I would understand other people not not vibing with it. That's fine by me. If you read these books just for the you know cheap thrills of an action sequence, great. But Vince was able to do something special. Yep, yep. Well, that was that was some fun... Fun rankings there. I, I'm I'm glad to you know, dive back in. It's sort of given us a little prep before we're going to dive into Mitch's or Mitch's Vin, uh, Vince's Kyle's final book. There we go. So yeah, you know, like we said at the top, next time you hear from us on this feed will be some sort of combination. Hopefully, it's an interview with either Don or Kyle. We want to cover Fade. We want to cover another Don Bentley book. One of his Jack Ryan's or his most recent one. I don't know. We haven't decided yet on that. But yeah, and then, you know, September, big month. We got Kyle's last book, Code Red. Let's do it. It's a big one. Cannot wait. Hey, let's not jump the gun, though. Just this month, July, we've got Deadfall coming. So a lot of you looking at the numbers have not quite yet migrated over to our second and third feeds. So if you could, please go and check out No Limits, the Scott Harvath podcast. If you're a Brad Thor fan, I think we're close to 50 episodes in on that feed, halfway through the books. 
we're even going to do our rankings soon, Chris. I totally forgot. We got to do our first our first half, half rankings. rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First ten books. So lots going on there. And then the Thriller podcast, our third feed, No Limits Thriller podcast. Jack Carr, Chris Howdy, Andrews and Wilson, man, oh, David McCloskey. We're going to cover his second book, Moscow X, which is coming out end of year, and. Sean Cosby, I can't say enough about Blacktop Wasteland and his new book, All the Sinners Bleed. Oh, it's a banger, guys. Cracker. Go get that book. Banger of a book. Go get that book. Get it now. So, yeah. Make sure you subscribe to all three feeds. A lot going on with the No Limits Thriller Pod. Yep, yep. All right. Well, we need to thank our patrons. Our special operator, Sherry F. Our special agents, Daryl, Kevin, George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, Jeff, and Mark. Please subscribe and review us on your favorite podcast. You can find us at ThrillerPod or on Twitter and Instagram at ThrillerPodcast. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. God, I love a good old just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.